Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. Coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Welcome to another version of IRI Growth Insights. I'm Larry Levin, part of the IRI Thought Leadership and Marketing Team. And it's a pleasure to bring to you today a person who really needs no introduction in our podcast because Jessica Lucas from BDSA has joined us, I believe, four or five times already. So many of you are used to uh, Jessica's uh, pearly voice about uh, all things cannabis. So Jessica, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, as a featured speaker, you probably don't have much new to tell us, but Tell us something new and fun that you've been doing in the cannabis industry personally. Yeah, definitely. So Larry, thanks for having me again. Always fun. And I think, is this our first conversation since the new year? I believe it is. I mean, I guess our first public conversation of the new year. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, right now, as we kick off 2022, um, you know, spending honestly most of my work time assessing and working through um, when BDSA specifically enters new markets. So um, all eyes, I think not surprising right now on the East Coast, specifically New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Um, New York, obviously a little further off, but New Jersey definitely expected to come online. Um, and then also an interesting market of New Mexico. Um, so as we think about the shift in um, markets or states going from medical to adult use, um, those tend to be the largest drivers of year-over-year -year growth. So all eyes right now, as I mentioned, New York, New Jersey, um, Connecticut, assessing Ohio and when that moves, New Mexico and a handful of others. Um, personally, do you want to talk personal? Of course. <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> personally, not much has changed. Uh, you know, again, as we've always discussed, I'm a consumer of everything. So um, inhalables, topicals, and edibles. Um, you know, definitely trying out as many new products that are coming to Colorado as possible. Um, I interestingly haven't traveled for work yet this year. So um, getting ready to kick off some travel, um, Midwest, Chicago specifically, uh, getting out to you in California and then also East Coast. Fabulous. Well, you know, I, I realize a lot of our listeners have, have heard your, your talks about the cannabis industry, but for somebody who's new to the market, why don't you just give us a 30 second overview of BDSA? And I know you're the chief commercial officer. So it'd be nice for people to just understand a little bit about BDSA and our partnership with IRI. Yeah, definitely. So um, we are the go-to for all things data insights and analytics within the cannabis industry. Um, our company was founded back in 2015. Um, which in cannabis years is eternity. <laughs> um, uh, we focus on ensuring we can provide the most depth and breadth of data in the industry. So oftentimes, I think a lot of people see BDSA in the news talking about the future kind of macro size and dynamics of the cannabis industry. What do we expect the market to be over the next five years globally, by state, by country, by province, by category. Um, but what we also have is robust coverage, as you know, Larry, just like an IRI does, 
tracking exactly what is selling at the dispensary by market. So we're talking, you know, categorization, uh, ingestibles, ingestibles, edibles, edibles to candy, candy to gummies, gummies to Kiva, Kiva to Kiva Camino, Kiva Camino sparkling pear, that level of detail, um, which I think is really easy for your audience to understand because that's why they work with IRI. Um, So the same dynamics exist within um, cannabis, just like any other CPG uh, industry. So really the go-to for all things uh, from the macro marketplace, regulatory conditions, sizing of the market, um, down to uh, consumer and shopper tracking and behavior, and then down to that granular tracking of exactly what is selling, where, when, and what price point. Well, that's great. It's a great overview. You know, one of the things I know BDSA recently launched was its 2022 predictions. But before we talk about the predictions, last year in 2021, you looked into your proverbial crystal ball and you had predictions for the market. Could you just go over for a few seconds um, what your 2021 predictions look like and how many of them actually came to uh, reality? And then how many of them may have been impacted because we still couldn't predict how the pandemic was going to affect us? You know, Jessica, I know that BDSA does a lot of project of predicting what's going to happen, the, happen in the market. And as you think back to the end of 2020, as we were getting ready for 2021, you looked into your crystal ball. What did you see for the industry? And then what actually came to fruition? How close was BDSA and some of its predictions in the market? And recognize sometimes we may be off, but that's there are things that we just can't control because of crazy forces like COVID-19. Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I love talking about almost validating what we thought would happen to what really happened. So a couple of key points I'll call out. Um, we did expect, not surprising, to continue to see the consumer population expand. Um, so that is the percent of adults who are consuming cannabis, either state by state or across the U.S. and Canada. Um, not surprising that came to fruition. Um, interestingly, though, Uh, We saw that happen across all states. So generally, whether we're talking about the mature cannabis adult use legal markets, California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, or whether we're talking about the newer emerging markets, we saw, as we have for the last four and a half years, consistent growth in the percent of the population consuming. Um, What I'll call out that is the most Um, interesting and something that's very exciting for us is as of the back half of 2021, um, we now have five U.S. states with over 50% of adults consuming cannabis. And this 2021 was the first time we've had any state surpass that 50% mark. So we're talking states like Colorado, um, interestingly, Michigan, even though it's a newer adult use market, um, Arizona, Nevada, and Oregon, all at or above 50% of adults consuming. Um, and if you recall, Larry, um, three plus years ago, when you and I first started talking, those numbers were closer to 25 to 30% in yep. even the most mature legal markets. So huge growth, not surprising. Um, I will tell you, we were, um, we did overestimate the actual sales growth in some of the more mature markets. So um, thinking about markets like California, Colorado, um, Oregon, Washington, I think even Nevada, Um, We had anticipated, um, you know, low double digit growth, and we saw single digit growth in most of those markets, um, specifically a slowdown in the back half of 2021. 
um, thinking about other things we predicted, um, expecting a lot of innovation in brands and, and products, and that continues to happen. Um, I don't want to speak off the cuff, but we're talking thousands upon thousands of brands in California alone. <laughs> um, so again, continuing to see the growth in the consumer marketplace, continuing to see more brands and products enter the market. Um, we also saw in 2021, um, unfortunately, some companies fall apart. And so that's the interesting dynamic with cannabis, um, where there can be brands, especially in California, that have been top brands for years um, that are just in financial distress. Um, the California market is dealing with a lot of tough regulatory and, and tax situations and um, illicit market dynamics. There's so many things working against a California operator right now. So it's not surprising while we see more brands enter the market, we also see some players who have been there for a while start fading away. Yeah, it's interesting that you kind of reminded me of the tech bubble of 2000, you know, and, and maybe in, in some ways it's, you know, they, they're very similar. You have lots of companies, people trying to get into this thriving business. And then all of a sudden they realize that uh, they hit roadblocks they never predicted. Yeah, it's it's very similar. And it's interesting, especially talking to some of the California operators or talking to, um, you know, distributors or brokers that are working with a lot of different brands. Uh, we work closely with the team at Pedal Fast, who's in California. And I had Jason, their CEO, on a webinar with us. And, you know, that's one of his major predictions for the, for this year that we're going to continue to see in 2022 um, brands that die off. And from his perspective, you know, his thought is some of them need to, you know, it's like clean up a little bit of the, the industry, clean up a little bit of the fragmentation in some of these more mature markets um, where in the Midwest, except not including Michigan, but in, in Illinois, in Massachusetts, um, in some of the Eastern states, there's a lot more um, vertical integration and a lot more large company dominance in those markets. You know, the other thing that I've always been fascinated about, and you talked a little bit about 50% of people in different states have tried cannabis and also just the sheer number of people who are now considering trying it. Mm -hmm. And the, I think it's grown about 10 percentage points since we first started talking about it. So I think that's a really good signal for manufacturers on both the um, THC and the CBD side to be thinking about the opportunities that this category really brings. And I guess that's a good segue into, as you look into your crystal ball for this year, for yeah. 2022, you know, talk a little bit about how you create these predictions. Is this really, you know, you and Micah and others at BDSA <laughs> sitting down and, and talking about what you think is going to happen? Or do you talk to uh, other folks in the industry and kind of get their view and come out with your five bold predictions? Yeah. So um, every year we kind of just get together um, within BDSA to start um, across our teams. So, you know, we have a commercially focused team who are the ones who are talking constantly to the cultivators, the brands, the retailers, the investors in this space. Um, as you know, there's so much you learn um, in those relationships that uh, of like what's happening in the industry and kind of what are other people worried about or thinking about or considering their focuses. Um, so we've got that commercial side. Then we have, you know, the analytics, um, the model builders, the ones who are doing the research constantly to assess what's going at the state level and what's happening at the federal level. Um, 
So we all tend to get together, brainstorm a ton of ideas. I mean, I don't know the final list, but we probably had 25 to 30 different topics we could have talked about on this list. Um, we narrowed it to five and then we always add one more. So we have off numbers, which is why we have six this year. Um, we also like, obviously, to given who we are as a company, just like you guys do at IRI, um, we like to ground anything we're putting out there in actual data. Um, and so that is one of the considerations when we start narrowing down our predictions or like, which ones do we actually have some quantitative proof? And after the year ends, we can quantitatively say whether or not we were right. Um, so that helps narrow these down as well. And obviously we have great clients and partners who love to contribute to this type of stuff as well. So um, always hearing what others in the industry are saying. So talking about some of the predictions, um, you know, you guys were talking about brand awareness and trial will continue to rise in importance. And that's really tickets to any category success. So do you see a day where a brand extends into different categories and forms and consumers migrate because of the equity? I think about Special K as one of my favorite new product pace setters and work that Joan Driggs and I do on a regular basis. Do you, do you see companies like that being able to extend into various um, occasions and areas? Yeah, completely. So we spend a lot of time with our retail partners and our brand clients, just like you guys do, helping them um, identify the opportunity to extend their brand into new states. So don't forget, extending into a new state in cannabis is similar to being a U.S.-based CPG brand moving into Mexico. Um, State-by-state dynamics are different. It is very difficult to have massive, um, I mean, it's impossible to have massive ad spend to buy awareness and buy trial. So when these companies are looking to expand into a new state, they have to be very thoughtful of, well, what worked in California, will that work in Massachusetts? How will we build this? Um, especially if they've been building their brand in California for seven years, how do you enter a new market with no awareness and build it from the ground up? Um, so we work on kind of watching and supporting our clients in that capacity, but exactly what you said too. Also, what are really strong brands and how do they think about within the markets they're already competing in, expanding into um, new categories. And so there's a couple of interesting examples if you want to talk through them. Um, and I, you know, tend to talk about uh, California because there's a lot of brand strength and dominance in California. Um, but Steezy, a major brand I'm sure you're aware of in California, um, you know, a great example of very strong brand awareness and penetration in the market and very strong sales, um, a top selling vape brand across the U.S. and a top brand in California um, via our data, um, you know, expanding into new categories. So not just being a vape company, being a flower company, being a dabbable extract company, um, offering pre-rolls, um, entering gummies as well, and doing it in a way that um, sticks to their brand positioning and brand messaging. Um, they're not expanding that brand into these new form factors, um, trying to mimic the success of the top gummy players or the top pre-roll players, but they're doing it in their own way and staying true to that brand, which um, I think coming from a CPG or beverage alcohol um, background, you and I both know like that's, that's the path to success is doing it in a way that's true to the brand and that appeals to the base that you've built so far in terms of consumers. Right. Yep. You know, well, another area that Joan and I 
look at regularly is price tiering and premiumization was really big in 2020. I think it might have slipped off a little bit in 2021 in mainstream CPG. How is the cannabis industry evolving with price tiering? And are you starting to see a segmentation like that manifesting itself because consumers are, are seeing needs for super premium versus everyday pricing for different needs? Yeah, and what's interesting, we're seeing the premiumization and pricing tiers happen um, both within retailer segments. Um, so thinking about retail locations being um, more focused and thoughtful around the consumers or shoppers they're trying to appeal to, stocking their shelves accordingly, um, and thinking about assortment much more strategically based on their shopper base, um, which obviously for all of us is really fun to start thinking about um, things that aren't a one-size-fits-all assortment model, really thinking about uh, retailers getting smarter about selling products that make sense for their shoppers. Um, and then on the flip, also seeing that on the brand side of things. What's interesting is we've definitely seen strength and power um, and a little bit of stabilization when you look at more of the premium products. Um, this industry has been hit, especially within flower, um, with declining prices um, across the board. And that's been a challenge for many operators. Um, and some of these brands that have gone out and really differentiated themselves and proven whether it's based on grow methods or the type of product they're growing or the benefits or the terpene composition, um, speaking about flowers specifically, or the cannabinoid mix or ratios, um, they've really been able to differentiate themselves. And as you, know, you see in any industry, um, the more you're able to differentiate yourself and offering additional value to consumers, the more price protected you are. And so we see that across categories. In terms of price tiering specifically, um, definitely seeing that emerge now more than ever before. However, the difference is we're not yet to a place, I would say, which is our prediction for this year, where within a form factor or subcategory, we're seeing large price differentiation. Where we're seeing the price tiering is at a category like vape. Um, but what's driving that price differentiation is innovation and technology. And so, um, you know, vape started as oil cartridges that then became dominated by distillate cartridges. And now we're seeing live resin or rosin cartridges enter the market that have different value propositions, um, different uh, perspective in terms of uh, the consumer on the, on the added benefits of those. And therefore we do see things like live resin be able to command a much higher premium price. What we're expecting this year is even to see within a category like live resin vape cartridges, price tiering starting emerging even there. And I think that's when this industry gets closer to what um, you see in like a beverage alcohol whiskey category where you've got within whiskeys, your top shelf, your middle and your bottom. Yeah, as you're talking, I wondered about the types of clients you work with and what their prior lives might have been in the CPG industry? Are you finding a lot of people that run marketing or run sales at cannabis companies having a CPG background so that they can bring some of those past experiences to life in their new, in their new roles? Yeah, we see a lot of um, CPG, beverage, alcohol, tobacco crossover, not surprising. Um, you also see a lot of crossover from mainstream retail and not always CPG retail. It could be fashion retail. It could be um, 
durable good retail, like sporting goods or an Apple store. So we see a lot of that shift over. Um, you know, the interesting thing, just from my personal experience, is it's not always a successful transition for the people. Um, this industry is very chaotic. Um, this industry is, has so many challenges. Um, what, from an outsider looking in, you could easily say, wow, that retailer could really do a lot to change their branding or really do a lot to change the experience in the store or, oh, <laughs> that brand is terrible. Their logo is awful. Look at that font. I hate it. You know, there's so many things people look at. Um, but then once they're in it, they don't realize until they're in it, the fires that these companies and operators are having to put out every single day just to produce the product and get it into the store and doing it under what is something that is federally illegal. Um, and so it's just a, I think we've seen a lot of success of uh, mainstream CPG retail um, people come over to this industry, but for some, it's not a good fit because it is chaotic and um, you don't know, uh, you don't always know what's going to happen a quarter or two quarters from now, let alone what's going to happen tomorrow. That's going to have to drive a strategy, a very quick strategy shift. Yep. Speaking of strategy shifts, do you, do you anticipate global CPG companies getting into the market or will they partner with smaller companies kind of akin to Toyota and Lexus, Nissan and Infinity when they first came out, do you see, how do you see companies, larger companies entering the market? Yeah, we obviously, you know, this, there's many um, public, publicly facing partnerships and deals and investments. So, you know, we can't shy away, which everyone can talk about the constellation investment into Canopy. Um, interestingly, now the Canopy, the Canopy investment now back into the U.S. via acreage and WANA. Um, and I think a side investment also into Terrasense. So all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the path of the money is very clear. Um, you've got Altria and Kronos and Kronos and Pharmacan, and you have um, Molson Coors and Hexo and their joint venture called Trust. Um, there's all these plays happening, some much larger than others. Um, and so it's interesting to think about, you know, it's already happening. It's happening, I mean, I mean can we say indirectly, directly? Um, I don't know if that's the right language. Um, what we haven't seen, though, is a direct move. And that's, I think, what we're all kind of waiting on is when is the direct play into this space? When is it not an investment into a Canadian LP to come back into the U.S.? When, it is, when is it a decision to go directly in? And honestly, you know, we continue to see that it's a lot of waiting until federal legalization, which is not surprising. Well, actually, that dovetails with my next question is where do you see the, uh, you know, the feds playing a role in effectively making this a mainstream product? And, you know, how, you know, what's the, what's the expectation, do you think, and how does that affect the 2025 forecast where I think we're looking at about 60 billion globally for yeah. cannabis? Yeah, I mean, we're still expecting, I believe, federal legalization not to happen this year. We're probably two, two and a half, three years out, truthfully. Um, but with that said, and as, as most people probably know, if they pay attention to this, it's not going to hinder, hinder the growth. It's not going to hinder the next states coming online to sell medically legal cannabis if they've been restricted or illicit. It's not going to hinder, as we did, talked earlier on, um, markets moving from medically legal to shifting to adult use. Um, so there are major, you know, things that the industry is watching in terms of safe banking and other um, 
non-federal legalization rulings that would make it easier to operate in this industry that could be just as powerful as federally saying this is legal, um, but it's still a state's decision how they want to um, regulate. So there is a lot going on. Um, is it going to happen in 2022? No, is kind of our stance right now, but that's not going to hinder the markets to continue to shift over to legalization. Yep, great. Um, you touched a little bit about brand expansion with vape. Uh, vape obviously has had a lot of image issues. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about where you see the industry moving and how, if at all, this image can be saved or is it forever tarnished? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if we went back to fall of 2019, um, I don't know, depending on who you talk about, Vapegate, Avali, it had many names at the time um, of, of, you know, kind of a, a crisis situation or a health crisis situation with what ended up being illicit black market vape products. Um, and that did hinder the industry for a couple of reasons. One, um, consumers got concerned. Um, two, states decided to kind of shut it down for a little while. Um, three, you guys probably are familiar with this too. It was also impacting um, e-cigarettes as well. And so there was a shutdown on anything that was flavored. Um, and so everyone was keeping a close eye on it, um, thus driving decline of vape sales um, for a period of time. However, since COVID, um, that has since rebounded and continued to grow. And the top brands across many states, meaning like the top one, two, three spots are vape companies. And so we can't ignore the fact um, that consumers have adopted and accepted this form factor for many reasons. Um, it's convenient for one. Um, it's easy to take with you. Um, there is not a uh, time to effect like you have with an edible product. Um, the convenience compared to other inhalable products is obviously there. So there's so many benefits to the form factor. And then the brands playing there obviously are doing everything right. Um, the industry gets a lot of bad press because there is this large illicit market. Um, but the legal companies are um, tracking and, and keeping a close eye and ensuring that what they're producing is safe for consumers to consume. Well, Justice has been... A phenomenal discussion as always, and I think I'd love to close this out with, you know, you're you're the head coach of the industry. You know, what are you telling people to um, to really get involved? And in? what's your call to action to get companies that are sort of sitting on the sidelines and still taking a wait and see attitude? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? Like, it's really hard to drive a sense of urgency in companies. Obviously, if they're in the industry, it's easier. But a sense of urgency with companies that are just kind of, oh, well, that other part of the our organization is inv investigating cannabis. Um, we're not able to do anything because our board is very conservative or we're worried about our shareholders or we're worried about our consumers. There's so many pushbacks to why they can't move. Um, I would just say... You know, as we, as you mentioned, uh, 2026, this is a $61 billion global industry, 45 billion of that coming from the U.S. Um, I don't know off the top of your head if you can tell me what a $45 billion CPG industry is um, in the U.S., but. Well, you know, I, I can. I mean, I think the OTC market is a $45 billion industry and there's plenty of other ones. In it, and I think that does illustrate 
the upward opportunity that this industry brings. Uh, you know, so many of our listeners are always fighting for growth. And 2021, 2020 was a spark for growth nobody predicted with COVID. Joan and I have seen sales settle back to about 2.5% growth in 2021 in this mainstream CPG market. Manufacturers are going to be pressed for ways to continue to grow their revenue and their sales. And this may be the industry that's really ripe for helping them tuck in uh, new sales opportunities. Yeah. And I, I mean, I hate to use the like put the fear in them, but um, there's a lot of big companies, um, mainstream retailers, um, CPG, beverage, alcohol, tobacco companies, um, financial services, banks, you name it. Um, they're making moves. And if they're not making the moves directly, as we discussed, they're indirect moves, but they're putting the, the, the pieces in place to be major operators in this industry. Um, and as we all know, first movers have an advantage. Um, and obviously right now, the first movers are not the large global companies that exist in other industries. They are large at this point, very large multi-state cannabis operators who continue to get larger and larger, um, as well as Canadian LPs who continue to acquire and get bigger and bigger. So um, the other fear is, you know, if you're not looking at it, one of your competitors likely is. And guess what? The big cannabis companies keep getting bigger. So it's going to be harder and harder to enter this market, or I guess more expensive when you make the decision to do um, M&A activity. It's going to get more and more costly as the years go on. Well, Jess, this has been a very enlightening discussion as usual. Um, honored for you to be on here four times now on our on our podcast or five times, whatever it is. I'm sure that, you know, Joan and I would love to check back in with you later this summer and see how the industry is going. And uh, maybe a year from now, we do the 2022 recap. On that note, Jessica, on behalf of IRI, uh, Joan Driggs and myself, we really want to thank you for the opportunity to get your views and uh, all the best to you. And uh, I don't know if it's too late to say Happy New Year. <laughs> Larry David it is, but Happy New Year. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, IRI. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.